0: We love our city. We want to reach and bless and serve our city. We don't have here just a church vision. We have a city vision. And when we came here seven and a half years ago, we knew that if we were going to serve and to reach and to bless our city, listen here, we were going to have to partner with all expressions of the body of Christ to saturate our city with the gospel. And so we're just so excited about our local ministry partners, glad to help them go further, faster. Let me just say something that I don't say enough, so I'm going to say it right now. If you're a part of Two City Church and you give consistently and generously, let me just say thank you. Everything we do is because of you. And I know it's a baptism weekend, and I know lots of you are new, and so if you're new, I want you to know this. If you're new, this is obvious, but just think about this. If you're new, you're sitting in the seats of somebody else's sacrifice. Somebody else paid for your parking spot that you pulled into today. Somebody else paid for the seat you're sitting in. You're literally sitting in the seat of someone else's sacrifice. Our church is built on normal, everyday, average families who put the church first in their finances. And here's what I want to do. If you've been coming around for a while, I want to invite you to invest in the kingdom of God through Two Cities Church. Here's the truth, guys. We still believe the best And brightest days are ahead. And here's how it works in in any world, but the the church world. The leaders set the vision. You guys set the pace. There's a lot we want to do, and we'd like to do it sooner than later. So let's pray together, and then we're going to dive in to a church you may have never heard of, the church at Sardis. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for those who are consistently generous in our church. They help us. Fund and fuel our ministry partners, like hold the rope partners, our local partners, and allow us to do everything that we're doing: kids ministry, student ministry, college ministry, community groups, mission trips, everything that we're doing, Lord. I want to pray that, that the people who need to would take their next step, and they would feel that invitation to invest in the kingdom of God through Two City Church, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. Guys, I know you watch Netflix. I know you do. It's okay. And one of the most popular shows ever on Netflix, and that's saying a lot, is The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead made it 11 seasons, okay? And what is it? It's a show about zombies, right? You know what a zombie is? It's something that's dead that's acting like it's alive and it's only doing harm. Let me tell you this. This is interesting. Let me tell you every zombie show and every zombie movie. Let me summarize all of them, okay? Here's, what, here's the plot of every zombie show or movie. Where are the zombies? Over there where we need to go. That's the whole show, if you don't know that, okay? That's the whole show. <laughs> if you're new, you're like, what are we doing? Why are we talking about zombies in church? It's because Jesus today calls this church that we're going to look at a zombie church. If you'll type to, turn to Revelation chapter 3. I'll meet you there in a few minutes. There are zombie churches. I want you to know this. Some of you don't know this. You don't, and you need to. They are churches that are dead. That's what Jesus says. I'll show you this in a minute. They're dead. They may have a budget. They may have a website. They may have a staff. They may have a Sunday service, but they are dead. And here's the interesting thing, right? This is true about zombies. You don't know that a zombie is dead from a distance. You have to get up close and go, oh, that's dead. That's dead. Yep. Yep. So so it is with churches. And just like zombies, these churches do more harm than good. Dare I say, I think this is the most common church in our city. I think it's the most common church in our nation, guys. Churches die. We believe here in church birth, and we believe in church death. And... The the sad state in America, and this was pre-COVID, I couldn't find after COVID, and you know what COVID did. If churches were on life support, they died during COVID. Before COVID, 85% of churches had plateaued, were dying, or were dead. The Economist, right, wrote this article about how in England, this was a couple years ago, how very wealthy men and women were buying old church buildings and turning them into homes. They had done this to 500 different churches. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Why? Because where are churches located? In the best locations, if they're old. And a small church is a very big house. And so all these, this is what's happening, guys. And why, why am I talking about this today? Well, number one, it arises out of Scripture. But number two, we don't want our church to die Now, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will never die, but almost every local church dies. I'll tell you how in a little bit. And there's nothing, by the way, there's nothing more powerful, nothing, than a church that is fully functioning and is alive. You know, I I literally, I'm at the wake, some of you were too, at the wake NC State game yesterday. And I'm like, looking around, I'm like, this is the most exciting thing that's going on in this city. Except for what happens in an alive local church. I mean, guys, this is, if, you know, life happens in alive churches. People's lives are changed, people's eternities are changed, people's destinies are changed, marriages are healed, families are reconciled, addictions are broken. And so we want the church to flourish. Look, look I was just talking to a guy a couple weeks ago. He says, Kyle, I came to Christ. He's in his 40s. Kyle I came to Christ in this church, and, he, and I'm growing like crazy in this church. And now you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise my kids in this church. It's like, may your tribe increase. And here's another reason we're talking about this, guys. Many of you, you have family in dead churches. You do. And it's heartbreaking. Because I've talked to some of you. It's like, oh yeah, my sister, she lives in Virginia. Does she go to church? Yes, but it's dead. Which is maybe surprising to some of you. It would be better that she didn't go to church. Because all the dead church does is confirm her in her ungodliness and her worldliness. So, let's now look at what Jesus says. Because this isn't, I know you're new. You're like, this is intense. We'll we'll see what this says. Come with me. Okay, look here. All right, I want you to see this. Revelation 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis writes, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Here it is. I want you to see this. We're getting Jesus' perspective on the church. Here it is. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is, if you're taking notes, the zombie church, guys. Here's what we're going to do today for the rest of our time. Grab your scalpel, because we're doing an autopsy. Every once in a while, somebody dies in a mysterious way. Some young person, this happened this year in our church. Someone dies, you say, what happened? What, what happened? And you say, all right, we're going to pay a little extra money. We're going to figure this out. The autopsies for the living. We're going to look at this together, guys. Let me tell you about Sardis. Sardis is an interesting city. It was a wealthy city. And it was a wealthy city, so it was a wealthy church. There's nothing wrong with wealthy churches except this. Why are dead churches still open? There's only one reason. They still have money. That's the only reason they haven't felt the full pain and results and consequences of their foolishness and rebellion, right? I'll tell you how the dead church works. It's like, how's that church? You look at it, you go, how's it still functioning? It's like, oh, I know how. Betsy gave something to it in her estate. It's like, oh, no. It's like the worst thing that could happen, right? She's naive or innocent, and she's old, and somehow someone talks her into giving her estate to this dead church, Ugh to confirm it in its worldliness for a couple more decades. Churches that are dead are still open because they have money. Secondly, it was a place of garments. So they had their own Haynes factory, you could say. And so, you know, it was just going to be interesting because at the end, Jesus is going to say, you're going to need a garment, I'll give it to you. But most interestingly, they had a necropolis. You go, what is that? That's a big word. Um, a necropolis is a fancy word for a graveyard or a cemetery. So they had this awesome graveyard. It was so awesome because kings had been buried there and queens had been buried there and famous people have been buried there and rich people have been buried there. And so people would come from all over. And they said, well, Let's go, you know, let's go see this person's graveyard. And I love this because Jesus says, Your city has a cemetery, but your church is a cemetery. And so Jesus writes to this church and he says, This. Look, look here. I want you to just read this again. We'll look at this together. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, it's right. The words, here, Jesus is going to focus on himself. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven churches. First of all, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't commend this church. This is one of only two churches. We'll get in two more weeks to the church of Laodicea. There's only two of the seven churches. Jesus has nothing good to say about them. Okay, you have to understand this. There are some churches that there is nothing good to say about them. Nothing. What's interesting is this church doesn't have any persecution. Perse- There's no persecution mentioned. One of the only churches. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, because the world does not persecute dead churches. In fact, worldly people love dead churches. They look at them and they go, oh, everyone dresses so nice when they go to that church. It's kind of like they're reenacting some religious experience that's really good for them. Worldly people look at dead churches and go, what, what, what a great place. It's like a little rotary club. What a great place to have a relationship, but no repentance. Good works, but no good God's word. Good deeds, but no good news. Oh, there's no mention of Satan, because Satan isn't concerned with dead churches. We've talked about Satan a lot the last few weeks. Well, he doesn't get concerned with a dead church, because if Satan showed up and went, boo, they'd know he's real. They might wake them up spiritually. okay. The problem with this church is this church. And so Jesus writes to him, you see what he says? He says, I'm the one who have the seven spirits. So here, let me translate it. So if they get the letter. We try to do this every week. Okay, okay guys, Jesus wrote us a letter. I mean, could you imagine if I said that this way? Hey, guys, Jesus wrote two cities. Oh, what does it say? So the church is hardest. Jesus wrote us a letter. Okay, hold on, guys, here's what it says It says, Jesus is alive. What? Oh, great. It says we're dead. She has a message to this church, "I'm alive, but you're dead." The church is supposed to be a place where life happens. The saddest thing about this is that the people in this church doesn't, don't know the church is dead. Like you've ever gone into places and you just know they're dying not forget churches. Like I can remember walking into a Kmart a couple years ago and pulling one of the people aside and going, "Find another job!" I mean, is it not immediately obvious? We can go in places all the time, and we're like, it's dying. And then they sh- we've got friends and family in their church, they think that's normal Christianity. Okay, here's what happens when a church dies. I'm gonna give you multiple definitions today. The spirit leaves the church, the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits. Seven is a number of perfection and completion. See, what happens when a person dies? The spirit leaves the body. What happens when a church dies? The spirit leaves the building. Now, what is the sign of an alive church? Well, there's many. But I'll give you real practical ones. I mean, as soon as I say this, you're going to go, well, that makes sense, obviously. A church that's alive has two things. Babies and baptisms. That's fairly simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are being born. Oh, there's new life happening in this church and people are being born again. Oh, there's spiritual life happening in this church. And believe me, I don't know a lot of things, but I know the church world, and their are churches all the time, and they're dead, and they're trying to figure out why those two things aren't happening. It's like, why are no young people coming to our church? Why is there no marriages in our church? Why is no one having babies in our church? Why, why aren't we baptizing anyone? It's like, those are the signs of, at least some of the visible signs of life in a church. So Jesus says, I'm alive, you're dead. I want to talk about how churches die. We believe in church birth and we believe in church death. Again, not the Church of Jesus Christ, but local churches, they die. We know our birth date as a church. 918 2016. That's when we were born as a church. We do not know the date of our death. We hope it's a long long. We hope we don't die. But almost every church across human history has died, and you'll see why. Here's what happens. When a church, as soon as I say this, you're going to start thinking of churches. Boom, 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 boom. You're going to start thinking of them because this is exactly what happens. So it starts with a man or men or men and women, okay? You kind of got this group. For us, it was 30 of us, and we're in Raleigh-Durham. We're like, let's do this. It's like, look, maybe God would do something. Maybe God would work. Let's pray. Let's sacrifice. Let's give. That's how all churches start. In fact, it kills me because I, I know I'm weird. But I'll be driving around the city, and I'll see some church that's dead. See, I'm trying not to preach this sermon angry, Okay. And I will literally look at the building and I'll think, somebody paid for that. And as a leader, I'm like, I, that means some pastor got up and cast a vision. And there was a group of people that sacrificed and they architected that building for purposes and it's dead. So this is what happens. So basically you've got this, you've got men and women. They start doing ministry and God breathes and blesses it. And then there's a move of God. However big, small, medium, doesn't matter. Th- that, those are the three good signs of how church life works. A couple of men and women say, maybe God would use us. They start doing ministry, and God blesses it, and it turns into a little movement. And then what happens is it becomes a machine. And it, this happens subtly. It goes into neutral. It goes on to cruise control. It goes on to autopilot, you know? And we forget why we do things and the reasons, and everything gets harder, and then... Here's the transition, and you've been in this church, or you know about this church. It's the church that goes from machine to monument. Monument is when we look to the past and we talk about one person. Well, when Dr. So-and-so was here, that's really when things happened. And then once you're tired about talking about the guy who's got the oil painting in the basement, then it becomes a museum. And it becomes where you talk about all of the things that God used to do in the past, and eventually it becomes to where we are today, a morgue. Why do churches die? Churches die, well, that's how they die. What is the definition of a church dying? Well, the spirit leaving. Why do churches die? Because there are people in them are spiritually dead. You know, as we've tried to work with dead and dying churches, it's very, very hard. I don't even want to tell you the stories. They're all discouraging so far. And one of the reasons is dead and dying churches don't know they're dead and dying. They're in denial. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And the other problem with dead and dying churches is they think they're way better than they are, especially when they're looking for a new pastor. Have you seen this church? Oh, we've got four acres, and look at our building, and we've been around since 1948, and, and then they love to say this, and we've had seven pastors in the last 10 years. You're like, is that a confession? Because another sign, if you want to find a church that's dying, look for high pastor turnover. Churches chew up and spit out pastors. There are many churches that we would never consider under any circumstances ever sending a person to because they are so dead. I want to tell you the three most common types of dead churches. I'm going to kind of summarize all of the teaching that I know in scripture and history on the three most common, if a church died, normally one of three things happen. I'll just give them to you. Here they are. The three most common, you know, we do the autopsy. Oh, this is what it was. Number one. Won't spend a lot of time on this because we've talked about this a lot in the past. They leave God's word. I mean, not usually. I mean, sometimes in like, you know, brash, blunt ways. But normally what happens is, or maybe you say it this way, when the church closes God's word. Jesus closes that church. Here's how it normally happens, right? It's it's not like, you know, because because all these churches they started out solid, maybe they had the view of Scripture we do, the total truthfulness, the total trustfulness of Scripture. But normally, what happens, and it's normally another reason the churches die is because of the because of the pastors, right? And now here's a principle from Scripture: people get the leaders they deserve people get the leaders they put up with so a lot of times pastor comes in and then he says something like this hey guys you know I I don't know that we can trust scripture I mean some of it's inspired but some of it's not now as soon as I tell you some of scripture is inspired and some's not what's the first thing you think well what's not inspired and guess what you'll think next the part I don't want to obey that's exactly what you'll think next that's the part that's not inspired. Then here's the other subtle thing, and this is exact, i am just telling you—this is what happens. This is how churches go theologically liberal. And let me just tell you this: there, please hear this. There is not one theologically liberal church in the entire world growing. They're going the way of the dodo. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, so then here's what happens. So if I say, guys, 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 you can't not trust all of Scripture. The next thing the pastor says is, but I've gone to seminary and I will tell you what you can trust and what you cannot trust. Oh, do you see what they're doing? You can trust me. So then the pastor becomes the authority and not the scripture. We don't get to change or choose our message. Our message is not how to have a nice family. That may be an implication of following Christ for you, may not. Our message is not how to get your finances together in three or four steps. You know, that may be an implication of following Christ and some principles from Proverbs, whatever. Our message is how to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we've done. So I just, every once in a while, I just wanna tell you why we do something. So why do, why do I get up here? Because this is strange to some of you. <clears throat> I remember, I get up and I just go through books of the Bible. I remember we had this guy, he ended up coming to Christ in our church, but he was a medical student, maybe a resident. This was a couple years ago. He came to our church. He came to me afterwards. He'd been, I don't know, some dead church. Not in a different state. And he'd moved here from medical school. And he came up and he goes, well, this is really interesting what you guys do. It's like some big Bible study. <laughs> I guess, basically, yes. <clears throat> and so, well, I mean, we just walk through books of the Bible. line by. Anyway, the reason, just real quick, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. But the reason that we do that is to protect the integrity of the church. Uh, because the other temptation is for pastors to get up here and share their hobby horses. And they could be really good hobby horses. Guys, uh, we're talking about prayer again. You're like, again? <laughs> it could be evangelism. It could be finances and generosity. And the nice thing about this is like, all right, you know, I didn't plan on this. I'm like, well, this is kind of strange. I'm talking about dead churches on a week that we have a bunch of guests. Okay. I I've been planning on preaching on this for like a year, this weekend. I didn't know we put baptisms on here. Anyway. Expositional preaching is, by the way, expositional just means to expose, you can see that, to expose what the text says, is I think a safeguard, not a guarantee, but a safeguard against a church dying and declining and leaving God's word. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing, so the first reason churches die, and you know this, they leave God's word. Sometimes they go completely like theologically liberal and off the rails, other times they just question it a lot and they don't speak of its authority and its total truthfulness. Second thing, churches die because they cling to tradition, right? Let me tell you the famous last words of a human. Hold my beer. This will just take a second, okay? That's the famous last words of a human. Let me tell you the famous last words of a church. This is how we've always done it. I want to talk to you for a minute about the difference between... Tradition and traditionalism. If you want to ruin something, you just put an ism on the end of it, okay? Tradition is the Latin word, it means to derive or translate. (sighs) Tradition is how you, rightly understood, tradition is how you transfer truth to another generation. Tradition basically says, which you should should think this way, our ancestors weren't stupid. That's, That's what tradition says. They're probably smarter than us in some ways, thought about this longer than us, made a lot of failures, paid a lot of dumb tax. They probably know what they're doing. We should probably assume we should do what they did. That's that's what tradition says. Well, fair enough. Because tradition is how you transfer truth. And every church has traditions, and every business has traditions, and every family has traditions. Okay, great. What is traditionalism? Traditionalism says there's only one way to do that. There's only one way to sing songs in church. There's only one way to dress at church. Oh, that's not tradition. How y'all have done it and had your reasons why, it's traditionalism. You can always see the goofiness, and I love to use the word goofy if you haven't noticed, okay? Because I think a lot of things are just goofy when you call them out. The goofiness of traditionalism when you look at history. Let me give you a couple examples. So. Pews, for example, right? Here, you know, you're in a traditional church if you mention, you know, the, well, what if we got chairs? What? Right? I mean, that, okay, you're like, that's the sign. Woo, 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 woo. I'm, I'm in a traditional church. I'm in a traditional church. Okay. For hundreds of years, churches didn't have pews. This is why being historically rooted is helpful. People stood, because that was respecting God's word. So when people say let's bring in the pews, everyone said, no, that's ungodly. It's like, oh, and then the people who get the piece think that's ungodly when we're going to chairs. How about stained glass windows? Why do we have stained glass windows? Well, because people were illiterate, obviously. They were pictures. They existed to help people learn the story of the gospel. Now, what is, what is the stained glass window in churches today? Screens. But the very people who love stained glass often hate screens oh, because they don't understand they both were serving the same purpose. How about the organ? Do you know where they got the organ from? They took it out of the bar. You know what I mean? And and, and it's the same people who love the organ, who hate the drums. I'm like, listen, the organ is the loudest instrument on earth. (laughs) There is nothing louder than the organ. Goofy. So these people, it's just like, right? They just. It, traditionalism. Why did ministers wear black? Some still do, right? The minister wore black to communicate I'm a sinner. That was the whole purpose. It's like, hey, guys, look, just so you know, I want you to know. This was after the Protestant Reformation when there was a big difference between the minister and the members. The, they wore black to go, guys, I, black means sinner, just like you. But what happens today when you see someone, you know, you go into one of the churches, like, why is the guy wearing a dress? No one dresses like that anymore. What, does he think he's better than us? No, we've just forgotten the reason why. That's why most churches today, the pastor dresses like the people. It's to communicate there's no difference. You ever hear the story of the lady I've told this before but it's worth telling it again because many of you are new the, the lady who she's newly married right and she's trying to impress her husband so she starts cooking Christmas dinner and she cuts the hams off both sides of the, uh, the ham before she puts the ham in the pan and the husband says wait a second my mother didn't do that why are you cutting off both sides of the ham before you put it in the pan she says it's what my mom did He says, well, I'm getting to the bottom of this I'm calling your mother so he calls her hey what, what is going on here I've never seen it, it looks goofy. Cut this side off, cut that side off. She says, well, I'll be honest with you. I just did it because my mom did it. He said, well, I'm calling grandma. So he calls grandma, says, grandma, why did you cut the left side of the piece of ham, the left side of ham and the right side of ham? Why'd you cut those off before you put it in the pan? She said, because it wouldn't fit in the pan if I didn't. (laughs) And that is many churches dead and stuck in traditionalism there was a reason we cut off the hand and we forgot it. We, we became obsessed with the practice and we forgot the principle. And so, this is how churches die. They cling to tradition. And here's the, think about it this way. Anything that is alive is going to grow and change. Things that are dead stay the same. Things that are alive grow and change. By the way, this is why I'm just trying, so why do we practice expositional preaching? Because we don't wanna leave God's word, okay? How do we fight against traditionalism? We always tell you why we're doing what we're doing. I know some of you today, are like, why is Spencer up, can't he just do baptisms? Why does he gotta give that little speech before baptisms? Oh, that's because he wants us to know why. Somebody I mean, like, Donovan, if he would just sing, why has he got to stop and talk to us every once in a while? Because <laughs> he's reminding you why we're doing what we're doing when we do the Lord's Supper. We're always leading with why we're doing what we're doing, and we're always about the principle, not about the practice, yeah. trying to get at the heart of it. Finally, The third most common type of dead church is a church that becomes inward-focused. In all my studies this week, this this was the one that they said, this is the sure killer. This is it. The church turns inward. Now, the most obvious place to see this, which not everyone has access to, is the budget, they say. I saw one study, 14 churches died. I mean, they were dead. And afterwards... This consultant came in and met with all these different churches and he wanted to see their budget. And in all 14 of the churches, <sighs> over the years, it always happens, you know, not, not overnight, but over time, all of the ministries and all of the mission and all of the mercy outside the church stopped happening, stopped making the budget line. And everything became more and more about the dwindling few people in the church and how to continue to do all the things they love to do. See, the church needs to realize, hear this carefully, the church in part exists for those who are not yet a part of it. I mean, we get it. Like, I'm, this is, I primarily am preaching to Christians who call Two Cities Church home, but I'm always aware there's other people here. I understand that the primary purpose of the church is to edify the church um, so that they can be equipped for good works. But I also understand that the church exists for those who are not yet a part of it. Otherwise, God would have just taken us to heaven. And this church, so they become, you know this church, it becomes apathetic, it becomes indifferent, they stop caring, they stop trying. Here's another one, they become unbelievably, are you ready for this one? They become unbelievably obsessed with their building. Now some of you are like, Kyle, you have talked about our building a lot. Look, I have carefully crafted the language that I have used with our building. It's a home and hub for ministry and mission. It's a means to a greater end. It's a facility to facilitate ministry. I've got a friend. He pastors in New York City, which means like if you're a pastor in New York City, you don't have a building. I mean, you can rent lease, but the chance that you're going to get a building is... Not good. And so he told me, he's so intense. He said, Kyle, he said, he was talking to a group of us, actually. He said, Kyle, what I do is I walk the streets of New York City. He said, because there's all these dead and dying churches with massive buildings in Manhattan. He said, and I pray. I can't remember if it was Matthew 24, but he goes, I pray Matthew 24 over the churches. Lord, take the kingdom from those who bear no fruit and give it to those who will bear fruit. And I was like, you are intense. (laughs) But that's exactly the problem, right? It's like if I could become the evangelical pope of Protestantism, I would fix the real estate problem immediately. It's like, oh, look, there's a church. It's sitting on $25 million worth of property and buildings. And there's like four churches in the city that are dying for some space and they're growing. But this arrogant, self-centered church would rather sell it to some Russian tycoon and build condos. I'm sick of that stuff. People are obsessed with their building. It, it's a, here's the symptom. They're obsessed with the past. A couple years ago, I, this, he's now died and gone with the Lord. I, I knew this guy in his 80s. He used to, imagine this. He used to ride his bike to our church in his 80s. Vibrant, discipling guys, caring for the next generation, financially, I mean just... It's hard to live a better life than this guy lived. Anyway, and so I meet this guy after service one time, and I basically said, I, I want to be like you when you know I'm old. He's in his 80s. And I said, what's the key to being young and vibrant and passionate when you're old? And he said, well, the problem with old people is the older they get, the more they talk about the past and the less they talk about the future. Same thing happens with churches. And then he said this. He said, the way that I have dealt with this is I have made sure My dreams are always bigger than my memories. And I thought, that's a word. That's a word for some churches. That's a word for some Christians. How do we fight against leaving God's word? We focus on expositional preaching. How do we focus on not getting clinging to traditionalism? We always focus on the why we're doing something, the principle, not the practice. How do we not become inward focused? Our dreams must be bigger than our memories. We must care about those outside the church, not just those inside the church. Well, I want to show you Jesus' recipe for revival and renewal. It shows up in verse two. We're going to go quickly through the rest of this, but I want you to see this. Here's what he says. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. There's the formula. We'll unpack it the recipe for revival. The first thing he says, and this is, I mean, some of you really do need to hear this today. Wake up, right? You know, you know some people are easier to wake up than others, right? They normally marry each other. <laughs> and what's interesting, right, there's certain people like you, you're you tiptoeing out of the room and it's just like, hello, Jim? You know, everyone's up. Some people, it's just a little bit of light and it's a little bit of noise and they, they're up. And there's some people and they can come in and they hear the gospel and they're reminded of some things, and all of a sudden they, they go to some college ministry or they get whatever, and they wake up. And there are other people I mean, some of you, I mean, genuinely, have been asleep spiritually for a long time. And I don't want to get weird about this, but we talk about you. We know who you are. We really do. And we're like, we're all confused. We talk to your wife about you, we talk to your husband about you, we talk to your kids, and we're all confused. It's like, yeah, dad comes every week. He feels nothing. He's bored. Pray for dad. It's like, I don't know. You know, people all time, how can people sing those songs and stay asleep? It's like, we don't, we don't know. So, but it happens. So wake up basically means face reality. That's what it means. And that's what many of you need to do. We'll even use that term sometimes, right? We'll say to somebody, dude, I mean, you're completely addicted. Wake up. Like, wake up. Do you see what you're doing to your health? Let's just talk about your health. Wake up to your health, man. This is killing you. You'll say this to people. It's like, dude, you see some guy and he's talking to some girl at work and he's, he's a little too excited to spend time with her and you're like, wake up, you're married. Some guy's traveling all the time, all of his goofy hobbies. It's like, wake up, you have kids. It's very hard to wake up, right? Because people like to be blind. It's one of the reasons people drink so much. It's like, ah, I'd like to be partially conscious. I don't want to really know all that's going on in my life. It's why people stay away from church, right? I mean, this is supposed to be an alarm clock. We had, we had a guy bring a friend one time. I said, what your friend think? He said, he's never coming back. It's too real. Think about that. Wake up, he says. Here's the interesting thing. So he says, wake up. Then he says, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. This is Jesus saying, start where you are and start with what you have. You know, particularly men, the problem men have is they're embarrassed where they are. I mean, women are too, but men really are. It's like, all right, man, you know, you never ever pray with your family and, you know, and you should have. But even to start is to admit you haven't. And who knows what kind of wife you've got and if she's going to say something and if your kids, you know, they might say, well, that, what are you doing? It's just all so embarrassing because you have to go, this is, that's the humility of the Christian faith. It's like, well, this is where I am. I start where I am. Well, th- well, I mean, think about this. Well, here's one thing you're all doing. I don't know why, but you're all here today. Well, so he's like, okay, well, Jesus is saying, the things you're doing, could you do them a little better? Could you, could you do them with more heart, with more emotion? I mean, you're already here. You've already given us, you know, 75, 80 minutes of your time. What if you just decided, well, I already come to church once or twice a week, or once or twice a month. Maybe when I'm there, I'll pay attention next time. Maybe I'll learn some of these songs. Guys, look, I've read the whole Bible. Nowhere does it say, when worshiping, stand there and look bored. But that's what some of you do. So maybe you could say, you know, maybe I could sing some more. Maybe maybe you'd say, you know what, this is humiliating, but I have one Christian friend. Well, strengthen what remains. Maybe you could tell her a secret that you need to tell somebody, because that's what a friend does. The definition by definition of friendship is the one you share secrets with. Well, I've always struggled with this, and I've never told... Whenever someone tells me I've never told anyone this, I go, I'm excited. Go tell someone else no I'm just kidding um no but I do get excited because it's like there's going to be freedom here so it's like wherever you are that's what, it's like that's where you start now here's what you think you always think in three categories frequency duration and intensity whatever I'm doing could I do it more you might be like you know what I, I read my Bible once a month well I know this sounds silly but could you do twice a month Well, you know, I do my devotion, but I just do it to check check it off my list. It takes me five minutes. Well, could you do it for 10 and slow down? There's duration, there's frequency, how often, there's intensity. Like that's, that's, I'm gonna bring my heart. I'm gonna bring my emotions to this. I'm gonna slow down. I'm gonna have a posture toward this. Well, he says, wake up. He says, strengthen what remains. Now, I just applied that to us individually as Christians, but I wanna tell you something that we're gonna be doing in the future. Because if you look around here, and we're only nine weeks into this, you know, what what are we going to do? What are we going to do when this room is full, which it almost is, and it was last service? What are we gonna do? Are we just gonna turn people away? I mean, well, one of the things we're gonna do is we're going to help bring life to other churches in our city if they'll let us, which you start praying for. We're not saying, you know, that we hung the moon. It's just like what we would love. There would be nothing that would make me more excited than to help, here's what it's called. If you want the technical church term, it's called to revitalize a church. It's very hard though because the church has to admit, by the way, that it needs help. Do you wanna know the average size a church needs to get to to where it goes help? This is a fact. How small does a church need to get to where they go, please help us? 17 people. By the time you get the phone call, you're like, it's a little late. We'll try to strengthen what remains, we'll try nothing would make me more excited I don't know that this is going to happen but this would make me excited genuinely that if, if once or twice a year we were being you know, hey I'm, I'm not even going to name a name of a church hey this church in Louisville you know what guys they were on their way they want us to help the 50 of you who are leaving get on stage right now and just, we just send people out all the time I mean we want to be that crazy church that says please don't come back next week go somewhere else and help them that's what we want to do and so guys, this is, so this is, it's in the text. What are we gonna do? We are going to, by the grace of God, if other churches will help let us, we are going to help strengthen them. Because I'm telling you guys, it is, it, if you've ever been in a dead and dying church, nothing will wear you out like that. Nothing will, and, and honestly, a lot of these pastors are great. I'm not picking on that. I mean, pa, pa, some pastors have other problems too. A lot of these pastors are trying. And it's like, this church just needs to vote to never vote again. I'm dead serious. It needs complete new leadership and it needs to humble itself. And if it does, its brightest and best days can be ahead of it. He says, he says I need you to wake up. I need you to strengthen what remains. Look, look at verse three. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. So he says, remember, I won't talk about this long because I talked about it before, but He says a similar thing to the church at Ephesus, which we covered in the first week of the seven churches. Um, There are things in the Christian life you need to forget. Paul says forgetting what lies behind. But there are also things in the Christian life you need to remember. I've told you this before, but a lot of teaching is learning new things and a lot of teaching is reminding people of old things. What is the purpose of memory? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. What's the purpose of memory? It's interesting. I think a lot of people talk about, well, you know, Let's go on this vacation and let's go backpack through Europe because afterwards we'll have the memories. And so, like has happened to a lot of things in America today, everything's become therapeutic. My memories are about me thinking back on things and feeling fuzzy feelings when I do. Well, a small part of your memory is that. According to the Bible, your memory exists so you can look to the past and know what not to do and what to do. That's the purpose of memory. So you're like, last time I did that, I felt guilty, I felt convicted, I felt foolish, I hid it, I felt insecure, and I was ashamed. I shouldn't do that again. That's the purpose of memory. The other purpose of memory is, man, when I was walking with God and praying and confessing my sins and living in community, and my life was, I was full of joy. Remembering is basically, let me re-enter the past to learn its lessons so I can live differently in the future. He says, What you received, he said, by the way, he says, what you heard and received, right? Christianity is taught and caught. And he's like, you know, there are certain things that you're taught. There's other things that you're caught. By the way, one of the things that people who need to wake up, what they need is other strong Christians in their life to look to and model it. Uh, Look, I'll show you this. Look at verse four. We're almost done here. Verse four, he says, yet you still, this is interesting. This is kind of, if there's any good thing Jesus says about this church, it's in verse four. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Listen, every dead church has alive Christians in it. And every living church has dead church people in it. Every, so this, this happened during COVID, right? COVID, churches that were on life support during COVID died. The were on life support before COVID. COVID hit, right? COVID was an amplifier, a magnifier, an accelerator of reality. It's like, sorry, this is where your family was. Sorry, this is where your church was. Sorry, this is where your business was. COVID just amplified it. And so what happened during COVID is lots of churches were dying and died. And during this time, we had lots of people, Just this is just a true story, lots of people came over from dead and dying churches. And so I've talked to many, many of you and one of the interesting things when you talk to people who come over from dead and dying churches, they have wrestled for a long time whether or not they should leave or they should stay. You, I mean, I, I can't even tell you all the stories. It wouldn't be appropriate. But you, know, you just talk to people, it's like, dude, I raised my kids in this church. I baptized my son in this church. I was a deacon in that church. Or, or they point back to some glory days. I remember when the youth group was thriving. And so what happens is, and, and, and this just happens, every person needs to finally decide, Am I going to be able to actually make a spiritual difference in this church? Or is this church actually so unhealthy that I can't even remain in it? It's not good for me. And a lot of times people leave because their kids are invested too. They're like, I can do it. I can put up with it. I can hope for the best. But my kids cannot sit in another service like that. They're going to wither, die, and hate Christianity. We can't do it. And so this is a situation in which he's saying there are a few people in this dead church who are being faithful. And then he ends with this. And this is where we're Verses five and six. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, speaking to a city that makes garments. And I will, never blot out, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. At the very end, Jesus talks about the book of life. Interesting. Here's the themes, death and life. And I don't know if you remember this moment. I think it's in Luke chapter 10, where the, the, the disciples come back and they had this great ministry experience. And they're, they're having powerful living ministry. And they come back and tell Jesus, hey, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus says, do not rejoice that the demons submit to you. He says, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. In other words, in the book of life. See, what's going to motivate us to continue to be living and alive is going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. See, as I, as I want to kind of close here, there, there, are, there are three types of people in this room, and, and really only three types of people. Some of you are spiritually dead, which is... You know, it's a weird thing to say that because the Bible says you can have biological life, you can be physically alive, and you can be spiritually dead. And what we've been praying for, we've got a prayer team that prays for you guys every service. We've been praying for the people here today, especially, you know, visitors on a baptism Sunday who are spiritually dead. And here's the first thing we're hoping you realize, that you're spiritually dead. And the weird thing about that is the moment you realize you're spiritually dead, you begin your pathway to spiritual life. Like we are trying, like I am trying by the grace of God, by the power of spirit, we are trying metaphorically to shock you guys. Shock you. It's like, is there a pulse? We're looking we're looking for anything. Are there any vital signs of spiritual life in this person's heart? The second type of person in here is not the dead person, but is the dry person. And it's understandable, life is hard, we become familiar with the things of God and a lot of us end up, most of us, maybe all of us will have seasons of our life that are spiritually dry. I heard Paul Tripp, you guys know, he's a famous Christian author and everything. I heard, I was, heard him tell a story one time, he said, he was reading his Bible and he said, as I was reading my Bible, I'd done this for a couple days in a row, then I did it for a week or two in a row, and he said, and nothing was happening in my heart. He said, so one day after I was tired of that, he said, I just walked into our bedroom and my wife was getting ready and he said, and I said to her, I've been reading this Bible for the last three weeks and I feel nothing. Would you pray for me? And sometimes that's what you gotta do. You gotta go, I, I'm very dry right now and I feel nothing. And so I need to get around the things God uses, his word, his spirit, his people. Which leads to the third thing. Some of you are dead, some of you are dry, and others of you, I mean, this is encouraging, are dynamic spiritually. We need continually to have men and women in this church, and young boys and girls in this church, who are pace setters and thermostats for Christ. John Wesley said, if a man is on fire for God, people will come from all over to watch him burn. We need people in this church that are alarm clocks, Because what a dynamic, vibrant Christian does is wake up all the sleepy Christians around them. Guys, what we're gonna end praying for is two things, renewal and revival. Let me just give you the difference because you may have heard those words before. What's the difference between renewal and revival? Renewal happens in one person's life. Renewal can happen, right now, it could happen in one person's life in this service. Like, oh man. I feel set free. I feel like I want to walk with Christ. I feel conviction. I feel hope. I feel renewal is, is basically when the doctrines of sin and grace become real and personal to you at a new level. So the hope would be constant renewal. That would be your hope. Hey, Lord, I would love daily renewal if I could get it. Revival, what's the difference between renewal and revival? Revival is corporate. Renewal happens with one person. I heard a pastor one time say, go ahead and draw a circle around yourself. Stand there until you have renewal. You don't need anyone else. Revival happens when a bunch of people experience renewal at the same time. I've seen it happen in families. It's like a little revival in that house. It's like God's working, or in some community group, or in some church. And so as we close, let's pray for personal renewal and corporate revival. Lord, we just pray. You gave us the recipe for revival. It's wake up, strengthen what remains. Start where you are. Start with what you have. Remember, repent. Lord, I pray for personal renewal all over this room, Lord. Just people need to be renewed. They need to dream again about their life with Christ. They need to take off the old. They need to put on the new. Lord, would you, would you bring renewal? Maybe some of you need to come up and pray with our prayer teams on the, on, our, on the sides here during this last song. Just pray for renewal in your heart. Pray for revival in your home. Lord, would you, bring, would you bring revival, Lord? We'd love to see revival in our church. We'd love to see revival on the college campuses in our city. We'd love to see revival in the high schools in our city, Lord. Would you bring renewal and revival for your good, or for your glory and our good, in Jesus' name, amen.